Keeping Up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is sponsored by SJL General Contractors. SJL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family-owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931 933-4660. That is 931-433-4660. If you'd like to be employed by this family-owned company, three W's and a dot, sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. I see spots. That was what I thought when I hit my head. I saw spots when they exploded a uh, stun grenade or a flashbang in front of me for the very first time. And as a stupid rookie chaplain, I watched the thing fall to the floor. And then when it exploded with the brightness of the sun, I saw spots. There's a logo on the 7-Up can called the cool spot and for a number of years this red dot on the 7-Up can would put on a pair of dark glasses and come to life and and run around in their commercials he was even featured in some video games a lot of people listening to this podcast will be too young to recognize the phrase see spot run (laughs) spot was a, a a dog a character in some children's reading primers i think they were called see and say readers uh Spot actually started out as a cat. Now, don't get all trans species on me. Spot was changed by the author to be a dog. And then they added a cat named Puff, a little girl named Jane, a little boy named Dick, uh, their sister Sally, and a teddy bear named Tim. There was always adults named Mother and Father. They they added some other characters later. And they were in the see and say readers that I grew up with in elementary school. And I hated them. The stories were simplistic. They weren't interesting, they weren't challenging, and I hate the artwork. Now, as artwork goes, they were very well done as far as watercolor paintings of people. You could look at the people and tell they were people. But there was just something about the stylized poses or the lack. They weren't comic book illustrations. You know, when the children were running, they looked like they were posed mannequins. They didn't look like they were really doing anything fun or adventuresome. It was kind of a mashup. It was it was a poor attempt at Norman Rockwell, and it begged almost the same stylistic artwork that we used to have in children's church literature. Why in the world did, did church literature have to be so bad? The drawings, uh, those one dimensional drawings, and and it was just it looked like the guy died in the forties that was drawing stuff. Even when I was a kid in the sixties, and, and by the way, talking about church artwork if you're going to draw a motivational poster or if you're going to put something on facebook and you're going to inspire people please stop drawing anglo-saxon jesus jesus was jewish jesus was a hebrew he was middle eastern he was not this pasty-faced italian milk white toast dude that we see in, in some of these paintings we had a captain uh, who was very religious, and he'd done some things for uh, a, a family in Huntsville, and 
because they knew he was religious, they gave him a gift, which was a ceramic statue, a ceramic bust of Jesus. Now, now the family making the donation was African-American. The captain receiving the donation was Caucasian. And so great care was probably put into the hand painting of this obviously homemade ceramic bust of Jesus. So Jesus is a little white, okay? And he has brown long hair and a brown mustache and a brown goatee. And we got called in, the team got called into this captain's office. And as we go into the office, here sits this uh, milky white, brown, long hair, mustached, goateed guy. And one of the SWAT guys looked at it, looks at the captain, said, I didn't know you're a Travis Tritt fan. <laughs> yes, we must avoid having Jesus look like Travis Tritt. But I digress. The artwork tangent drew me away because of the Dick, Jane, Sally, Spot, Puffin, Tim stuff. Uh, There's a lot of people didn't like that literature. They got some very bad reviews in, in several publications. In fact, one guy was commissioned. His boss told him he was an he was an author, and his boss said, "I want you to write something that first graders will not put down." The task was given to a gentleman named Theodore Zeus Geisel, and in response to that challenge, he wrote The Cat and the Hat. Dr. Seuss has a quote that says, I have great pride in taking Dick and Jane out of most school libraries. That is my greatest satisfaction. Well, hats off to you, Dr. Seuss. But at the same time, I'm not that great a fan of your artwork either. I'm not sure what you were sniffing, snorting, or smoking when you drew those things that, that you claim to be people or uh, those characters that you came up with. That's not my style artwork either. There's another spot. It's a little brown dog. He's in a series of children's stories, and uh, he's published uh, just under the title of Spot's Adventures. And uh, you see this little brown dog with a spot. Uh, the retail store Target has a dog with a, with a circle around his eye. And I think they refer to him as Spot, at least in one of their campaigns. They went back to the Dick, Jane, and Sally motif, and they had a picture of their dog, and it was C-Spot Save. That, that's where that came from, in case you're too young to, to recognize the connection. And then one of my favorite authors, a guy named John Smith, wrote a bulletin article about the trimming of Spot's tail. And it was about their family dog named Spot, who was a solid black, I think it was a solid black lab. And because he was just one big black Spot, that was his name, Spot. So yeah, I've seen Spots after being hit in the head. I've seen Spots after looking at bright lights and watching explosions. I've seen Spot from the Dick and Jane books. I've seen the cool Spot. I've seen the little Spot in the children's story. I've seen the target dog named Spot. I've read about John Smith's dog named Spot. And then the doctor said they found a spot on my lung. Now, as it turns out, it's it's not cancer. But for a few days, that was the only explanation they had. It all started on a Monday. I had gone out to work out with some police officers in what we call blue jitsu. Uh, we're basically teaching some jujitsu and, and, and applying it to the tasks that police officers have to perform. And I left the workout and felt unusually tired. 
It was one of those hot Mondays in the summer, but by two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I was freezing to death. I got chilled. Well, by the time I got home, I was running a fever, and the next day, I went to the doctor, and from Tuesday to Thursday, I'd gone from having a chest x-ray to having a PET scan to being scheduled for a biopsy. Yeah, you, you walk into the doctor with a fever and a cough, and they test you for COVID, and then the doc comes in, sits down, and says, hey, you know, we looked at your lungs, and there's something there we don't like. Maybe you should get a CAT scan. And I said, sure, I can I can have a CAT scan. What day next week? No, 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 this, this afternoon. And you go from sitting in the doctor's office in Hampton Cove at 11 to having a CAT scan at 1, and by 3 o'clock the CAT scan, CAT scan people have called you and says, hey, you're going to have a PET scan. And the PET scan pops hot. There's some glowing around that area when they apply the... Uh, irradiated sugars to it and then they say hey we need we need to go in there and get a piece of it now like i said as it turned out it, it's not cancer now is it an infection is it an artifact from some previous illness uh is it fungus we don't really know that yet but they're not overly concerned about it anymore i'm not on that fast track treadmill but for a couple of weeks it was a little bit intense and somewhat unnerving Three weeks later, I was at the police academy, and I was doing some training with our peer support group. We have the largest peer support group for police in North Alabama. We have a, a lieutenant and a captain and a sergeant who's in charge of that, and I'm kind of a civilian contractor involved with that. And while we were sitting in our class doing our thing, across the hall, the newest cadets in the Huntsville Police Academy were getting an introduction to Mr. Taser. Now, Jordan Boyer, who's one of the TAs there, uh, training advisor, TA, uh, Jordan asked me if I'd ever been tased, and, and I said I hadn't. And he said, well, we can take care of that today. And for and some reason, I accepted. Now, I'm not a masochist, neither am I a macho man. Maybe it's just the idea that I get to do so many things with these guys and in a lot of cases, I do things to these guys. Last week, I was hiding in a building while we were training some guys on room clearing, and I had a munitions gun. This is a gun that will fire a paint pellet off the primer of a 9mm. And it, it feels like you're being stung by a hornet. And they told me if they, if they make a mistake, don't just ambush them, don't just shoot a leg or an arm, but if, if they make a mistake and come into a kill zone... You light them up. We're going to teach them. We're going to reinforce the principles of room clearing. And and although I think it's beneficial, and I really enjoy, I mean, I've been hiding in buildings uh, from police officers for a number of years. And although I could not clear a building with any efficiency, I could walk through a building and show you where the places were that you'd get killed. And I enjoy teaching that kind of a reverse engineering from my years of being the opposing force or being the bad guy. But if I shoot you with a sim gun and you can't shoot me back, I always feel bad. I always feel just a little bit like I'm taking advantage of somebody. Even when we do the, the, the Red Man stuff, and Red Man is a title we give a class 
it's really now defensive tactics or, or officer survival. And it started out in the old days that, that you'd come into the mat wearing a fully padded red suit, uh, arms, shoulders, uh, elbows, groin, legs, waist, and a helmet. And now we've introduced a lighter version of that, at least a lighter version of the suit. The cadets walk in with the headgear and the gloves on. They try to break up a fight. Uh, between two officers, the third officer grabs them from behind, does a takedown, and gets on top of them. That's that's called a mount in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And we hold them there for four minutes. Somebody has their legs, somebody has one arm, and then you have the person who's actually mounted on top of them, controlling their upper torso. Uh, you get your legs back, and then you get your arm back, and then you've got a minute of 1v1 just you and, and the guy that tackled you. And I always feel bad for, for the, the cadets because they're in a no-win situation. And we're not trying to teach them how to beat three people at once. We're trying to teach them to endure a situation. And in and, and one occasion, uh, I, I had this guy down. He was a little bigger than maybe we'd planned on him being uh, for me. And I couldn't keep him pinned. Now, he couldn't turn me over. There's no way that's going to happen. He couldn't turn me over, but I couldn't keep him pinned. So instead of trying to control his upper torso from the top, I slipped into a mounted triangle with a combination arm bar. And I looked up, and there stands my police chief. <laughs> I felt a little bad that he looks out and sees his, his middle-aged chaplain uh, manhandling one of his brand-new police officers. And, of course, you know, the cadets come into this thing and, and they know that we're guests and, and they know I'm an older guy. And so, you know, they hesitate. And it's that moment of hesitation that allows me to take advantage of them. But I I really do sometimes, even when we do that, we know it's for their good and we know it gives them some inspiration to train. I, I do sometimes feel like a bully. And so maybe it's that in that that feeling of ambivalence of, of have I done a good thing here or not? That when the TA says, hey, you want to get tased with these guys? You go, yeah. If I can dish out punishment, I can take punishment. So I show up across the hall in the room in front of a room full of cadets. One of the other instructors said, hey, you want a T-shirt? I said, I'll be finding this. He said, no, no, this thing will, will punch holes in the back of your shirt. So I, I acquiesced and I accepted the black T-shirt they gave me. You stand in front of the room on a mat. Two young cadets hold you under both of your arms. And then they tell you, as you get tased, when this thing hits you, while you're in the middle of it, we're going to whisper a color in your ear and see if you can repeat the color, see if you can say it back. The trainer says, spotter's ready. The two young men go, ready. You exhale, and then you hear the words, taser, taser, taser. And then there's a pop. And they shoot two darts. Nay, they shoot two barbed harpoons into your lower back and the gluteus maximus. The initial thought is, I have been stung by a Chernobyl bee that has been Africanized by a murder hornet. And then all of a sudden, because that thought about the murder hornet only lasts about a billionth of a nanosecond. And then all of a sudden, 50,000 volts show up. And then you have a full body convulsion cramp. It slows down somewhat from there. Your body is seized. You feel this, uh, this sensation that you've not felt before. And then you have random thoughts. I thought about having a spider in my pocket. 
maybe, just maybe, if I had a spider in my pocket, I could walk away from this thing with superpowers. And then you come back to reality and you remember that everybody else you've watched do this fell forward and you're still standing. Well, maybe if I begin to lean forward, the two young men holding my arms will put me on the ground before my spleen melts and runs down my leg. They lean me forward, and as they do, the guy on my left whispers, Magenta. And I repeat it. They place me on the mat, and all of a sudden, my body relaxes. It takes them a little longer than I wanted them to to remove the bat hooks out of me. I've got a blood spot on my back. And then it's done. I walk to the back of the room. I stand by the paramedic. I change my shirt. I take off the t-shirt, put on my golf shirt. And I go back to class and it's over. Now, while I was on the other side of the hallway before I had become a taser participant, I had heard screaming and wailing and cursing and gnashing of teeth. I'd heard inhuman sounds coming from the other participants. In our room across the hall, one might surmise that the banshees were in heat. And yet the only thing I said was magenta. Now please, don't infer that I'm claiming to be some sort of tough guy. I suspect my pain threshold is probably normal, maybe even a little lower than most people's. And even though it felt like that this thing lasted a full minute, the whole ride was five seconds. And I knew going into it, it was five seconds. And I thought five seconds is all you have to do to retain your composure and your focus. There's, there's a worldview. It's, it's a worldview that I hold. And it involves the concept of an afterlife life after this life. It's an eternal life, an eternity of living beyond the five seconds we have here. See, the sufferings here aren't worth comparing to the glory out there. Even though the outward man is degrading, the inward man is being renewed. Life, mortal life, is compared to grass that is here today and the next day thrown in the oven. Mortality is described as being swallowed up by life. The mortal part gets taken over by the immortal part. You can focus on the internal man or the external man and focus on the internal man causes us to focus on the eternal. Mortal life is compared to a flower that blooms and then fades. Mortal life is compared to water spilled on the ground that can't be gathered up. Mortal life is described as a mist or a vapor that appears and then quickly vanishes. That's a perspective that you need to remember so that if your spot turns into cancer or the investment fails, or the loved one dies, or the loved one does something so unthinkable that you feel like dying and we end up betrayed or divorced, or we end up being the betrayer that causes the divorce. 
it doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the story. There is a part B. There is redemption. There is forgiveness. And there is eternity. Now, while the pain is here, the writhing convulsion and intense pain is temporary. It is as brief as it is intense. If you take my week, my, my taser week, and I was tased on a Monday. Since the tasing happened to the end of the week, I was allowed to live 604,800 seconds. Five of those seconds involved a taser. Point zero 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 eight two seven percent of my week was taser. That's incredible. Compare that. Put that in perspective against eternity. Let's let's be generous and talk about seventy years. Seventy years is what percentage of eternity? I'm not even sure you can do the math because that's not defined. Seventy years is what percentage of infinity? See, once you take that fraction and you compare it to to really what's out there, the temporary versus the eternal, the finite, it will end, versus the infinite, it will never end. That's a perspective. That's a perspective you can live with. And that's a perspective you can die with. Now, remember, I don't have cancer yet. And and if I don't die of cancer, I will die. There is an obsolescence built into the human frame. We get old. And as we age, we degrade. And I will die. And dying is as natural as being born. But your focus, while you lean forward and they whisper in your ear, you're dying. While the specialist and the oncologist whisper, it's just that, it's a whisper. And that whisper has to be overrun or overwhelmed. You see, when they whispered cancer, I felt like falling to the mat. And as I leaned toward the mat, and they whispered cancer, I I repeated eternity. A few years, a few months, a few weeks, a few days, a few hours of this, whatever this is. And it will end. And let's just use cancer because it's come up. But a few years, a few months, a few weeks, a few days, a few hours of cancer. And then I'll never have cancer again. I'll never lose anyone to cancer. I'll never have to sit and hold hands with someone who just got told you have cancer ever again. I'll never be hurt, sad, betrayed, depressed, lost, lonely, or injured ever, ever again.
I don't care what they whisper in your ear. I don't care what they shout behind you. Taser, taser, taser. Doesn't sound bad when you realize it only lasts for five seconds. And replace taser with whatever you want to do. Cancer, depression, divorce, injury, illness, financial ruin, disability. And then you realize it only lasts for five seconds. And then you rise. And you get changed. And you live on. There are 32 miles of cave passages in Cumberland Cavern. 333 feet underground is the Volcano Room. The Volcano Room is the site for the youth rally known as Erupt. It's an underground youth rally. It's an annual event. It takes place in October. The next Erupt is scheduled for October of 2021. Erupt is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. If you'd like more information, you may contact them at eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. That's eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. Or check out their website for more information. Three W's and a dot. Eruptyouthrally.com. www.eruptyouthrally.com.